Hello and welcome along to episode 3 of Call of the Wild, the podcast from WWF with me, Cal Spellman. Great to be with you again, friends, where I find out about the threats to our planet and more importantly, how we can fight back. In today's episode, we're going to be tucking into the topic of food. Now, whether it's cooked from scratch or a cheeky takeaway, food is something that brings us all together. And maybe, like me, you absolutely love the stuff. But did you know a lot of our food production is taking away from nature? In the time it takes to say deforestation, a chunk of forest the size of a football pitch is destroyed. That's every two seconds, every single day. Also, there's only about half the number of trees on the planet today than there were when humans first evolved. Up to 15 billion trees, that's right, billion, not million, are being cut down every year across the world. So in this episode, I'm going to be joined by some brilliant voices to help me delve into this topic a little bit further. Joining me are Tanya Reynolds and Kedar Williams-Sterling from the hit Netflix series Sex Education, who are talking about the efforts they're making to eat more sustainably. It started off with, like, the diet. Just reevaluating that, kind of figured out how weird it was that I was just kind of eating all these things that had repercussions that were bigger than me. I'm also going to be chatting to one of WWF's deforestation experts, Sabrina Gonsalves Cresba, to find out about the extent of the problem and what we can do about it. We have control over the food that we put on our plate and it's one of the easiest things that we can do as individuals to reverse nature laws and climate change. And along with those brilliant people, I'll also be hearing from someone whose home is being destroyed to make way for the food we eat. It might come as a surprise to you, but the biggest cause of deforestation is food production. And because of that, our food system is a huge contributor to climate change and to nature loss. Lots of important and integral tropical rainforests and ecosystems are being cleared and destroyed to raise cattle or make way for specific crops, like palm oil. Now, those are two words I'm sure we've all heard thrown around lots, but do we really know what it is and the impact it's having? Well, let's find out. Palm oil is an incredible edible vegetable oil extracted from the fruits of oil palm trees. Your palm oil consumption probably begins from the moment you wake up. It might be in your toothpaste, toast, breakfast cereal, chocolate bars and even baked beans. It's most likely in your peanut butter. It's used in everything from baked goods, sweets and snacks, cosmetics and even biofuels. Two types of oil can be produced. Crude palm oil comes from squeezing the fleshy fruit and palm kernel oil, which comes from crushing the kernel, the stone in the middle of the fruit. Large-scale palm oil production is devastating the environment, climate and wildlife populations. Why? Because vast monocrop oil palm plantations have devastated tropical forests around Southeast Asia, West Africa and Latin America. Around 90% of the world's oil palm trees are grown on a few islands in Malaysia and Indonesia, islands with the most biodiverse tropical forests found on Earth. Iconic species have been almost wiped out. In particular, the orangutan population has been severely impacted by the demand for palm oil. But there is an alternative. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I realised it's in so much. I mean, it's absolutely everywhere. What can we do to make sure that the food on our plate is not linked to deforestation and nature destruction? Well, I took all my foodie questions to Sabrina Gonsalves Crespa from WWF UK, who works with companies and governments to help ensure that the food on our plate is sustainable and nature friendly. So my first question for Sabrina was, what is that alternative to palm oil? This is something that is in up to 50% of packaged supermarket products. It feels so difficult to boycott given it's everywhere. So would it be realistic to do that? Boycotting simply is not a constructive solution because the problem is much more systemic. The entire demand for vegetable oils and fats, which is linked to the fact that we're eating very highly processed foods that need those ingredients. And if we simply exchange palm oil with other vegetable oils like soybean oil or coconut oil or sunflower, rapeseed oil, you you need to replace it with something, right? And if you use some of these other oils, that can actually worsen the problem because to get that same amount of oil that we get from palm oil from other crops would require anywhere between four to ten times more land. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite a complex issue. So the solution is really for companies to start using only certified, sustainably grown palm oil. There's something called the the round table on sustainable palm oil called RSPO, which, which companies can commit to covering all of their purchases of palm oil with that. So we've touched upon palm oil. What I wanted to know, Sabrina, what other food items are a major contributing factor to threatening our natural world? Take an example like the Amazon or the Cerrado, which is another really precious ecosystem in Brazil. These places are really being burned to clear lands to then be used to raise uh, livestock or to grow crops like soy, for example, which is then used to feed animals like chickens and pigs here in the UK and, and elsewhere. So that means that the eggs or the milk or the butter in our breakfast could come from, from cows, which even if they are raised in the UK, that can be fed on soy, which was grown in these amazing places, in places which used to be covered in spectacular forests. It's not very easy for a consumer to choose sustainable soy because that's not something that's visible to them. So the action that can be done there is is to transition towards more plant-based diets, and that's that's really clear. Got a whole list of facts that I, I bring to the table when, when we do in our interviews, and there's one here which is pretty mind-blowing. It says soy, 75% of soy is actually used as feed for livestock so out of all the soy production only 25 percent of it is actually in our food the rest is it well technically is still in our food but it's used to feed our food in a way which is just mad and i'm guessing this is the point around a lot of these things we're talking about we don't actually probably see the full effect of them because they're going elsewhere before they've even arrived at us no, absolutely. And it's even less soy that we're, that's ending up directly in our plate. Because as you say, I think 75% is going into feed, but soy is also used in other industrial processes or as biofuel. So it's it's about 5% that ends up in our plate. Oh, wow. So, and, and so as you can see, the, the vast majority of it is either to feed animals or used in other you know, industrial processes or, or energy production. It's, it's not our tofu or soy burger or soy milk. So let's dig a little bit into, and this is, of course, it's always sad when we have to delve into the truth of the situation, but it's important. What are the ripple effects we've spoke about that happen when we're looking at soy production or palm oil production or some of the other things you've mentioned there? 
Yeah, no, soy ends up being a really important use of, of land for farmers because it's incredibly profitable and that can really incentivize farmers and producers to clear more land, to rear cattle, while as well cultivating soy on, on former pasture land. And a lot of the world's most biodiverse forests in Malaysia or Indonesia, for example, or Papua New Guinea now are being destroyed to make room for more oil palm. And, and, and that's, of course, also destroying the habitat of lots of already very vulnerable species like the orangutan or the pygmy elephant or the, the Sumatran rhino. And, and of course, another important point to note is that all this loss of, of forests and the conversion of other really carbon-rich soils and important ecosystems is, is throwing out millions of tons of, of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So it's really driving climate change. Every time we, we lose a forest, we, we're not only, again, throwing out all those greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, but we're it means that that ecosystem will no longer have the ability to capture all that carbon that it was capturing in native vegetation uh, before and all the, the soils rich with uh, all those roots that are then gone. And then you start a vicious cycle where you have very degraded soils that are being used to grow crops. But over time, they're becoming less and less productive because there's soil erosion and degradation. So it's a really, really devastating, like you say, cycle. And, and it's absolutely, it's essential that we we accelerate action to stop that. Yeah, it's kind of one thing after another, isn't it? So for you, Sabrina, what more can be done from governments, from food suppliers, you know, supermarkets, etc., etc., to combat the problems that we've just talked about there? Right. Yeah. So there's there's a, there's a lot more that uh, companies and, and and governments can can be doing for sure. So <laughs> shock. Yeah. With supermarkets, <laughs> brands, and all of their suppliers, they need to take much more ambitious action for sure, and and to make commitments, really strong commitments, and and of course deliver on them. Not just deforestation, but the loss of any any natural ecosystem. So all land conversion in their products and and they do need to work and understand their supply chains and work with all of their suppliers all the way up to farmers to be able to achieve that and i'm forever saying this on the podcast but money talks and the best example of that is suddenly you stop giving your money to one of these supermarkets they're soon going to start having to think about why you're not giving them their money and how can they go about getting your money back. So money talks and we do have that voice, absolutely. And and speaking of us as individuals, Sabrina, what are the tips and solutions that we can be trying to implement in our daily lives? We have control over the food that we put on our plate and it's one of the easiest things that we can do as individuals to to do our part, to to reverse nature loss and and, and climate change. You can adopt a more uh, sustainable diet by eating a, a really a wide variety of sustainable foods, more plants and less animals. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean going vegan overnight and take maybe more of a flexitarian diet. And if possible, if you can grow any of your food or be involved in a kind of a community garden is always really helpful in, in understanding the impacts of food better. And, and also food waste is, is a really key thing for all of us to consider because today we waste about a third of the food that we grow globally. It's huge. And wow. when you think about all the impacts in terms of deforestation and climate change, so a lot, a huge amount of that land that is being used to grow food is also just completely wasted. And and so if we just waste less as individuals, we could really feed a lot more people using exactly the same amount of land. The brilliant Sabrina Gonsalves Crespa from WWF UK. 
we all know how finely balanced these ecosystems are and how much one little thing can have a massive ripple effect. So off that, we're going to be speaking with Sex Education's Tanya Reynolds and Keida Williams-Sterling a little bit later on in the episode, who have some brilliant tips on how they both switch to a more sustainable diet. Call of the Wild has reached out to people whose lives are being transformed around the world. Lucinegi Dos Santos Gomez lives in Chuazero in the northeast of the Cerrado, which is a tropical savanna region which lies mostly in Brazil and is home to 5% of the planet's animals and plants. The place is amazing. Think a Garden of Eden teeming with life and wildlife. I mean, we're talking over 11,000 species of plants and more than 1,600 species of birds, reptiles and mammals, including the maned wolves and giant anteaters. The Cerrado is the equivalent to the size of England, France, Germany, Italy and Spain all combined. But I think it's safe to say it doesn't get as much attention as its famous neighbour, the Amazon. The Cerrado's beautiful land is being taken over by agriculture chopping down grasslands and using their natural water sources, the very things that keep the region alive. All this to make way for soy production. So here's Lucian Eiji with her story. My name is Lucian Eiji dos Santos Gomes. I am 24 years old and I am the president of our community association. My objective is to always be at the forefront of everything and to defend my community of Gerazeiro people of Casimbinha. A wonderful place to live and where we get our livelihoods from extracting the buriti palm, golden grass and more plants. Many things have happened and are changing due to the expansion of agribusiness. We are losing our water springs, our river and witnessing soil erosions which are blocking the sources of our wetlands. Today, with the soil expansion, the level of the river is very low due to artesian wells that are being drilled on the farms. Some hills are collapsing due to the lack of trees and deforestation. We are seeking help from the government authorities and making formal complaints every week, which is a way we found to try to get to a solution. But I leave my message here with you. I live in this very rich place where people are destroying its own wealth, which is represented by the yellow collar in our Brazilian flag. And they are also responsible for destroying all the green in the country, driven by their individual ambition while destroying their own home. Mankind is polluting its own way of life without caring about the environment that feeds and nourishes and enables our futures to thrive. I thank WWF for inviting me to this podcast and for hearing a little bit of my story. Thank you. And to hear that the Cerrado is changing at such a drastic and alarming rate as Brazil's soy production grows is devastating. Now, WWF are working with soy farmers and cattle ranchers to eliminate the need for deforestation and conversion by increasing efficiency and productivity on land already in use. But there is still so much work to be done and safe to say a long way to go. 
From the Cerrado to the UK, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with not one, but two very special guests. From the hit Netflix series Sex Education, Kedar Williams-Sterling, who plays Jackson, and Tanya Reynolds, who plays Lily. They've both spoken out about the need to protect our planet, and we had such a brilliant conversation, putting the world to right, going here, there, and everywhere. So, to kick things off, Tanya Reynolds told us about her earliest, and safe to say, interesting memories in nature. Forever, I've just always been... I've loved animals like my whole life. My mum, when I was little, she would say, never trust a man who doesn't like dogs. Never a true word said. I'm like, yeah, literally. (laughs) We just always have been big animal lovers. And when I think of my childhood, it was just all outdoors, just in the garden, looking for frogs. I had a frog jump on my face once and his foot went in my mouth. How was that? It was was alarming. It was (laughs) alarming. But, you know, it didn't turn me off to frogs. (laughs) But but Kedar for yourself, and and I should say as well, I've known Kedar for years. We we went to school together, so he is one of my nearest and dearest. But your relationship with the natural world, I found, has grown tenfold because I mean you're now involved in WWF's Youth Ambassador Program. I know we've also sat on some panels together. But where did your like relationship for the natural world begin, Kedar? I guess as well, like Tanya, there was an upbringing around animals. But the heritage that I am, there's always been, you know, whenever I go to the Caribbean, that feeling of just wildlife and just the terrain of that area mm-hmm. just really connect to something for me. And I think the older you get, you kind of come to terms with how important that is. It started off with like the diet, I think. About four or five years ago, I was kind of just reevaluating things and just kind of looking at like habits and just looking at, you know, the way that I am and the way that things are. And then there was, um, I think I came across by this guy called Dr. Sebi, who kind of talks about veganism, but just heard about the health benefits from it really. And then just kind of the, just reevaluating that, kind of figured out how weird it was that I was just kind of eating all these things that kind of weren't necessarily for me and also just had repercussions that were bigger than me. And that had, you know, more to do with just the pleasure of that moment. And it's just kind of been a journey ever since. And how have you found it? I mean, having, having opted for, say, the plant-based diet, difficult, easy, as you know, how, how was it for you? I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it because the, the more I'm leaning into things that I feel like are right, the more it feels better. When you look at loads of different reasons as to why being plant-based is difficult, it's not necessarily the person's fault i think you look at like tax subsidies and you look at the farmers you look at the industry or food i'm talking about you know like people that aren't necessarily that i wouldn't say well off but that well informed and and privileged really so i'm grateful more than anything for the for the space and for the lessons and for the challenges because within them i've i've, I've feel like i've grown tenfold yeah. um, but also as well credit to you because it's you know the space and the opportunity can present itself but it is ultimately the personal decision to act upon it and and move into it what what about you tanya have you tried a plant-based diet the journey that i'm on i guess is all about doing things gradually because when i was a teenager i've decided like one day to be vegetarian and um i just made the decision overnight I didn't know how to be a good vegetarian I didn't know how to do it properly my diet was really bad I just wasn't eating anything good I wasn't getting enough protein so I you know I I went back and started eating meat again and then it was like like five years ago 
maybe. It was like a really gradual effort. I didn't just kind of overnight go, I'm going to stop eating meat. It started with pork. I was like, how am I eating these guys? Like, I love them. Um, And I stopped eating pork and then eventually cut out chicken. And why and why it's been so successful, why I've been able to like continue that and cut out things gradually and my health has probably never been better is because I did it gradually. I didn't just like go cold turkey overnight. It's been a slow process. So I've been able to figure out what I like and what works for me, what my body likes. Were you too aware of the link between the food that we eat and the food that's in our food chain as a whole to then the impact it has elsewhere in the environment? Or is that did that develop a little bit later on in your journey, so to speak? Yeah, I think definitely it was something that developed later on. Like when I was younger, I wasn't really listening and it's like, oh yeah, 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 cool, yeah, okay, climate change, oh, okay. And and I think it's the same with everybody. It's just as you get older, your pace of life, it speeds up and then it kind of slows. Or as the more things that you go through or experience and that you see, just the more that your eyes are open and you're listening, that you just tune into these things. And I would say now, for sure, in the last you know five years, my choices always lean harder towards how is this affecting the world? How is this affecting the earth? And how, how about for you for yourself, Kido? Did you would you were always kind of aware of a little bit of a link, or again was it was it a little bit later on for you? Yeah, I think with age, you know, knowledge grows, hopefully. And so, yeah, I feel like when I was younger, climate change wasn't necessarily a conversation I was having as such. I think like what Tanya said, it comes from within, and then from then you can decide to do whatever. I think you have to look at where you live globally. I think your diet is dependent on that i think what you decide to do with your money is you know dependent on how much you earn so i think it's all circumstantial i think i think it's all subjective i think it's easy for us to sit here and talk about what we think should happen or how do you know what i mean but i think it's so tricky saying this is the way when every single person has their own universe and has their reason for living how they live. But I think then it comes down to, you know, it's like you have to kind of detach yourself from your own universe and look at the actual universe <laughs> and be like, well, go on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of our listeners are going to know you from the hit show that is Sex Education. Kedar, I mean, of course, you play Jackson, all-round good guy, head boy, loves his swimming. But do you think that sustainable food would be important to Jackson? Do you think he'd be thinking and be uh, conscious of his diet and the food that he's taking? <laughs> he, I mean, he's a swimmer, isn't he? And they're, they're quite stringent with their... what they. Eat. I think his mum's also just quite vigilant with just like what he is. So I think, yeah, he's going to be quite conscious. I think there's no way that he can live in that house and, and not <laughs> not really. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is interesting because I think when I, when I trained for it, because I had to train for the role... My diet changed as well. Um, Interesting. They're like, you're too small. Yeah. Which was, again, a journey because for the first year, I was like, oh, I need to put on weight, like not getting enough protein, got to eat fish. And so I did that. And then for the second year, I was just like, this doesn't feel right. There must be a way. And so it kind of just led me to alternatives to get my protein you know second year came around and i saw Kedar and he was looking hench i was like doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> and, um, tanya for lily someone who definitely isn't afraid to speak her mind i could somehow see lily spearheading some big movements like would be front and center possibly at a school strike 
Yeah, I think so. She loves eating, does Lil. And this season, there were so many scenes where I just would be eating something. But like, I think as she gets older, I think she's definitely uh, probably going to become a, a little Greta Thunberg type. <laughs> Netflix's very own Greta Thunberg. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. Got that to Greta. <laughs> and guys, as we look towards the future, what do you think you'll be doing more? Is there any more you're looking to do? over the next year and couple of years when it comes to kind of your personal choices and looking at what we can do to help our planet? Well, in our house at the moment, we, we try to be very conscious about what we eat. And at, at the moment, we're trying to like eat more seasonally nice. and mm. pay pay more attention to exactly where things are from, which, is, we, which we do to an extent, like where have these blueberries flown from, for example? <laughs> you know, is there a way to get, are there closer blueberries? <laughs> you know, <laughs> having well, those guys. I have of... got a blueberry brush down at my uh, allotment. So if I can bring you some fresh blueberries oh, if you want some. That's amazing. Oh, I want an allotment. We should get an allotment down Mate, 100%. I would love an allotment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about for yourself, Kida? Yeah, I think going off that, I, my granddad grew some food and... Over lockdown, I've always wanted to do it. And so me and mum actually did it. We grew some really good stuff. We grew some like a round courgette. We grew some like butternut squash, tomatoes. So really enjoyed that. And kind of want to continue that this year. Well, listen, I think we're going to be starting an allotment here. It's going to be the Keltanya and Kedar allotment. Fresh produce coming at you. Um, <laughs> final, final part of the question. And it's, it's a bit of a deep one, but what does bring you hope for the future? For me, I think the fact that this is a conversation that, everybody seems to be having at the moment. Only 10%. I just feel like, you know, this moment in time that we're in has really sparked something inside all of us that was dormant before. And so I'm really intrigued to see the repercussions of this. So this is hope, really. I think it's been quite chaotic, but, you know, I think in the chaos, there's some stillness that we've all been able to obtain. So I think I'm just, in, I'm just, I'm just hopeful for just whatever happens next, because I do think there's a lot that's popped off. Yeah and there's a lot to come I mean we've really got into the important questions but all the listeners listening will um, I'm sure send me a message if I don't ask season three can you tell us is it coming when is it coming anything else to new characters new scandals <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to say we like so we're not allowed to say anything but it will be I, I can't wait to see how people re- react to, to some things it's um yeah I feel like it's going to be different because we also shot it in a different season. Yeah, like normally we shoot it in different. summer. And because of obviously COVID, we had to shoot it in the winter. But um, no, it was interesting because also like, I mean, there's a whole storyline that happens where just the aesthetic of the whole thing changes. So without giving too much away, it's, it's definitely a different tone this year. So it's going to be exciting to see it on screen because we haven't seen it yet either. Well, there you have it. You heard it here first on Call of the Wild Sea. We cover everything on this podcast. It's not just about the environment. Thank you so much to the brilliant and wonderful Akida Williams-Sterling and Tanya Reynolds from the show Sex Education. And remember, if you're looking for more tips and tricks, there is that brilliant app from WWF called My Footprints. free to download and it's on all the app stores. It's just full of ideas and how we can reduce our own footprint. I had to scan through some of my favourite and easiest tips and tricks that I can give to you now as you're listening is one, get palm oil savvy. We are all aware and I hope you're more aware now of the devastating impacts of palm oil so we need to do all we can to find out which products have sustainable palm oil in and on the app there is a great way for you to do that also 
my favorite, growing your own veg. You can even just put something on your windowsill, but it's so easy to do and so good for the soul as well and for our environment. And we can now hear from you lovely lot about all the brilliant things that you're doing at the moment to try and be more green and sustainable. And you never know, you might hear something here that inspires you to go out there and try it yourself after you've listened to the episode, of course. I'm helping our planet by eating a plant-based diet. I started by making small changes like oat milk instead of dairy and I found myself enjoying it so much that I ended up switching to completely plant-based. I found out about the impact that banks can have on our climate crisis. After doing some research, I swapped my bank to an ethical bank and by doing so, a tiny change in my life has had a big impact on my footprint. The main step I've taken to help our planet over the last four months has been becoming vegetarian. And this has actually been made a lot easier because the main supermarkets are now offering these amazing and frankly ridiculous vegetarian options like vegan steak. And even my favourite takeaway Nando's now offers a really great veggie option. So definitely worth a go. Friends, you are very much being the change you wish to see in the world. And I know I'm always that little bit more inspired and motivated after I've heard from you. So thank you so much for anyone who has got in touch with Call of the Wild. And remember, if you haven't, it's very simple to do so. If you have got any tips or advice or something that you're trying to think, Kel needs to know about that, well, send us a voice note. The address to send it to is callofthewild at wwf.org.uk. So there we have it, another episode done and dusted. Hopefully you've learned some stuff along the way and you're feeling inspired to go out there and make a change. Huge thank you to Sabrina Gonsalves Crespa, Tanya Reynolds, Kida Williams Sterling, and Lucinagi Dos Santos Gomez for their help in digging into the issue with me today. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at the impact of fast fashion on the environment. But if you can't wait till then, do not worry. There is a bonus episode coming your way in two weeks' time. It features more of that brilliant conversation I had with Tanya and Kida, all the stuff that we couldn't fit into this episode. So please do check it out. It is well worth your time. And if two weeks is still too long, then do not worry. If you head on over to YouTube, WWF have a channel that is chock full of content about the awesome work that they do to combat the very issues that we're talking about in this series. It's just on the WWF UK YouTube channel you'll find a playlist of a whole load of extra content called call of the wild this is a fresh air production for wwf and please don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and i really look forward to joining you next time thank you thank you